The CCUA with Scott McKee, episode 32, Finding Strength in Struggle, A Warrior's Perspective with Dr. Teresa Larson. The Butterfly. Once upon a time, a man found a cocoon on a bu- of a butterfly. One day, a small opening appeared. He sat and watched the butterfly for several hours as it struggled to force its body through that little hole. Then it seemed to stop making any progress. It appeared as if it had gotten as far as it could and it could go no further. So the man decided to help the butterfly. He took a pair of scissors and snipped off the remaining bit of the cocoon. The butterfly then emerged easily, but it had a swollen body and small shriveled wings. The man continued to watch the butterfly because he expected that at any moment, the wings would enlarge and expand to be able to support the body which would contract in time. Neither happened. In fact, the butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. It never was able to fly. What the man, in his kindness and haste, did not understand was that the restricting cocoon and the struggle required for the butterfly to get through the tiny opening were life's way of forcing fluid from the body of the butterfly into its wings so that it would be ready for flight once it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. Sometimes struggles are exactly what we need in our lives. Our strength is built through the struggle. They are part of our journey and are preparing us for what awaits. They are preparing us to fly. And that is something we can't rely on help from others all the time. This is the CC Way Podcast a show about grit, character, gratitude, and service. I am Scott McGee. I'm a mindful warrior on a path of gratitude and service who loves to connect with unconquerable souls. Love says we are everything. Wisdom says we are nothing. Between these two, the show flows. So what happens after an injury, loss, major change, good or bad? How do you adapt to this new normal state? How do you find strength? And what is Sisu? How do you accept this new change without always wishing to be like before? Well, my guest, Dr. Teresa Larson, is going to help us answer those questions. So if you don't know, Dr. Teresa Larson, a.k.a. Dr. T or Teresa, has become one of the healthcare and fitness world's most sought-after experts on movement health. She is a mom, wife, sister, and friend who happens to be a former Marine Corps engineer, officer, combat veteran, and professional softball player, and a motivational speaker. She founded Movement RX in order to break free from the limitations that traditional physical therapy puts on its practitioners and also its patients. She also presents on movement and mobility internationally and is the co-creator and lead instructor for the Popular Functional Training for Adaptive Athletes program. She authored a memoir and a really awesome book called Warrior and is co-founder of Your Movement Prescription, the cutting-edge virtual rehabilitation and wellness program whose programs include the low back fix, the knee fix, and the shoulder fix. Her mission is to deliver info to people who need it most. 
Whoever has gone through loss, trauma, or a major change in their life needs to find their new normal again. Through these channels, she offers stories of motivation and strength, overcoming hardship, and information on overcoming injuries. She believes that our ability to optimally adapt to a new normal is a choice. Strength is a choice. And as the Dalai Lama says, beautiful things don't come without some suffering. So, welcome. Thank you, Scott. That was very nice intro appreciate it so you have been through some really hard times you have been through losses you have been through death uh pregnancy issues hate you've been through fear grief so initially i was going to phrase this next question um you know where does your strength come from but instead i'm going to flip it I want to know where your weakness comes from. That's a good question. Uh, the weakness comes from when I get far away from knowing and reminding myself who I am. So uh, the self-doubt that can creep in and letting other people's messages, advice, um, beliefs of who I should be or how I should deal with something live my life, be a mother, when I let those things creep in, that's when my weakness, that's where weakness is for me. Now, something else about weakness. Is it something that you can point to? Uh, physically, from a physical standpoint, um, depends on, yes, there is a cellular, you can objectify weakness, strength weakness, but... Um, the kind of strength that I care most about and weakness I care most about, you can't. Well, I kind of feel like the general answer would be like one of these. Right. Like, and I'm pointing right to my own forehead. Brain. My own forehead. Like here's the weakness. Right. Because when you say weakness, and, well, it's not something else you can point to. Because you're saying it even at a cellular level that you can you can show it. But it has to be in, in you know, contrast to something else that right. is say strong okay right. so by its nature whatever you're comparing to is generally going to be strong to something else right or it's going to be weak to something else depending on what you're applying it to so if weakness is with is here is in our own minds by its very nature of that you can say the same for strength comes from the mind too Yes. So uh, same thing for strength, like on a cellular level, you know, in PT school and getting as, as a strength coach, you can objectify these things, but it's always comparable. Mm -hmm. uh, but we look at like, can you get off, can you get out of a chair? Can you get out of bed? Right. In a, in a PT environment, good to go. You're strong enough. But then that would be weak compared to, you know, someone else who's doing like trying to train for a Spartan. Um, or something like that. But a lot of the, the, where that strength and that ability to get up and the want to get up comes from is between the ears. All right. So now where does your strength come from? The strength comes from my mind and my physical, my, my ability to look at myself and 
actions in all of the aspects of my life, family, um, way I react to things, uh, business, and basically self-regulate those, mm-hmm. like how I react to things. So my strength is coming in understanding my mind and therefore being more proactive in my reactions to things in life. So let's go back further. So you grew up in a log cabin, right? For, was it like 18 years? Yes, I grew up in a log cabin in Seattle, Washington. Well, a small town called Woodway outside of Seattle for, yeah, 18 years. That's when I went to college, yeah, at 18. I've, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that long compared to depending on what direction you're looking. Right. You're still a very young woman to a lot of people. Yes. I'm, I'm, it's all in your perspective. Mm-hmm. So yeah, log cabin in, on three acres, we had two tree forts, pigs, lambs, chickens, cats, dog, little farm. You have Wilbur? Wilbur. <laughs> and Charlotte? Yeah, we ate Wilbur. Oh, <laughs> and Templeton? Yeah. Wow, that went from the memory banks deep. Mm-hmm. So... To look back though, in that family life and in, you know, big old, um, older brothers and a dad that was like a, a rock, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you went through a lot. You, you played sports, you played, you know, division one softball, mm-hmm. went on to play professional, um, went on to being a first lieutenant in the Marine Corps and, and then we'll get to the, the eating disorder part in a second, but through all of this stuff, it seems like almost like you're kind of operating against the grain a little bit. And I don't know if you ever really felt like you fit the mold. Uh, well, in, uh, when I was young, definitely not. And I, I think there was a shift in my life when I, I lost my mother at 10. And I, writing my memoir, I had to, these, all these things came up and there was a shift after she passed as to who my friends were, who I hung out with, how I, how I worked. Um, I mean, cause I dealt with that grief with my family alone. And I, I think at that point it, it was clear I was introverted. I just didn't know it, didn't know what that meant. And so, um, but yeah, I, I, when I, after I lost my mom, there was this huge shift and my life kind of from there, um, I didn't, it's not that I didn't deal with struggles that well, like bad or good. It was just, I feel like I didn't fit in anywhere. Like I was a really good athlete. I was okay in school. Um, I was tall, so I got noticed more, but I was very much a tomboy. So I'd wear like my brother's clothes, the belt, you know, you can imagine with a side ponytail, real cool, <laughs> high tops, oversized jeans and co-ed naked shirts that weren't allowed in private schools. Yeah, all of that. And so, yeah, I never really felt like I fit in and I wanted to. So as a kid, you can imagine like that's a stuff you suffer because I don't fit in. Why don't I fit in? Well, you're, it's kind of awkward, but I love being awkward now. The things that I didn't like then, I actually really love about myself. So it's interesting. Like then I didn't feel like I fit in and I definitely didn't and I wanted to, whereas now, I can look at myself and I say, I still don't fit in and I don't want to. And I like that about myself. So there has been a, a shift with me. And 
Uh, but the thing is growing up, I also had this, you know, I knew I was really good at sports. So that was like my identity. Like that was where people really looked at me and was like, oh my gosh, you're, I was being written about every week and on this path of getting offers from a lot of different schools. And, but on, that was the only place I actually felt like good enough. And so that's what I kept like feeding. Well, I have to win. I have to be good enough have to win and um that thankfully did shift over the years but yeah. that also well, two questions come up here now one who if you took if you took softball away who were you at the time i didn't know who i was that's the thing so i grew up uh in with a in a tough love environment with my dad and brothers and it was very performance driven where you get reward based on your performance. There was a lot of love there and my dad did the best he could, but uh, I didn't know who I was when I didn't win. And I wasn't really, um, yeah, if you took the athlete out of me, I would feel lost. Yeah. And that's, I think, very common with a lot of athletes actually after yeah. their professional careers done, high school, college, it's like, I've seen a lot of my teammates from college in particular kind of let themselves go. Um, and just the, that level of self-care that you had to keep up with being a great athlete and winning, just that, that same mentality because there's now no accountability because the sport is gone. Yeah. And, and we'll get into that identity crack and stuff yeah. in a little bit. But still focusing on like, like that drive and stuff and kind of curious if you can even pinpoint certain moments of your childhood that were like early lessons in, in your strength. Well, yes. Yeah. So even though there was, I think every kid who is a competitive athlete, any human can probably relate to the fact that you grow up and you get attention for something and you kind of that feeds your self-esteem and it takes parents and it takes your community to kind of, you know, help you identify that you're so much more, but also that's got to come from you I didn't necessarily listen to everyone else. So I just stayed focused on being the best. Uh, but there was a point in my life when I was 10, a little bit before I was 10, before my mother died, she, um, she was the protector in the family and very strong woman. Uh, she like pulled me aside. I got home from school and pulled me aside and I was really upset because her cancer had come back and, at this point it was terminal and we knew she was going to die. And I just was like, this is so unfair. Like, how is this fair? You know, you're a young woman, she's 44 and you're going to die. You have three children, you have a husband. And, um, she just pulled me aside and she's like, life is unfair, Teresa. And life has to go on though. Like no matter what happens, you know, I'm going to die, but your life has to go on and blossom. And I think, you know, that message, when I even wrote, I wrote about her in my book that it, it always gets me because she was, she was such a light of positivity. And I have read some of her journals and just the struggle she had with just coming to grips with knowing that she was going to die. But what that did for me was in hard times when you, when I didn't want to go on, like there have been times when I haven't wanted to go on. I'm just like, 
what am I doing here? Because I didn't know myself. I didn't know what I was capable of. And it was all based around performance. There have been times I haven't wanted to go on and I, her voice is there like, life has to go on. There's no choice. Because it's, self, I mean, in, and you read into it, it's selfish otherwise. People rely on you. You have a family. You have brothers. You have your Marines. You've got your team. It's selfish to not go on. Did things change? Like, obviously, completely, uh, especially for a 10-year-old girl to lose her mother. You know, so here's kind of, would you say that is a, a strength or a weakness? For losing my mother? Well, I don't think it's, <laughs> it's, it really depends on how you handle that. I could, because of her, I could have, well, because of her, I handled it as a strength. Life has to go on. She was a part of my life. I had a mother for that minute. I had a really awesome mother for 10 years. So I will never forget that. And she's still a big part of my life. Uh, <clears throat> so for me, but I had to grow up at a young age and stick up for myself. I had to be assertive. She was the protector. Once she left, I had to be the protector of me and stick up to my dad, stick up to my brothers, stick up to Marines, stick up to my coach. I had to stick up to my, I have to stick up to, for myself all the time. And anyone listening can probably relate. It's like this is literally not having her around forced me or else I'd be walked over. And she wouldn't, she wouldn't have allowed that when she was alive, but I had to not allow that. Or I could have, you know, had she not been the mom she was or had me not listened to her or looked up to her so much, I could have just said, I lost a mom, woe is me, my life is over, I'm going to have a horrible life, look at all these. That, I could have gone that path, and people do, not even thinking about it. They lose, they lose a loved one, and they blame their circumstance on the fact, I didn't have a mother, I didn't have a father. It will change you. But if you use the resources available and you open your eyes, there are mother-like figures. There mm. are people in your life that can, and maybe there aren't that many, but remember what that person, you can at the least envision what that person would tell you. Right? Like I was 10, but I can still imagine now to this day, I have a one and a half year old and I started a business, like a digital business a year and a half ago and was breastfeeding and trying to handle working at the same time and and I was very, I was in a stressed out state, um, more sympathetic, I would say, because not sleeping enough and learning how to be a mom. And I can just hear my mom's voice say, slow down. Like, put your phone away, slow down. You're doing fine. Or like the mom guilt that will come up with like, oh man, I'm, I have to leave for a three-day event. It's okay. You know, I just hear her voice. I allow her voice to be streaming kind of in my mind well that is a beautiful gift right yes. to allow that to happen yes and and to allow it without resentment yes so now don't get me wrong there are times when i very sad like i growing up especially it's like man these mother-daughter situations or the girls that have the pretty clothes or you know just they get those ti that time with their mom to do nail you know all the simple things that girls do like the from girl scouts to getting their nails done like i didn't have those experiences with my mother 
Um, I oftentimes did it with someone else's mother, friend's mother, or by myself. And yeah, at the time it was like, I was sad about it, but I also knew like, again, I, I celebrated the fact that I had a, such a great mother and the older and wiser I get and with more perspective, the more I'm like, I still did those things. I still got my nails done. I still went shopping with my dad. Um, it wasn't the same, but I did it. Well, it's first of all, I, I think it's important to point out that it's okay to feel those ways. It's okay yeah. to be sad. It's okay. You're not just yeah. gonna be like, oh, it's you know, my mom passed away. I was ten. It now it's now it's a strength. You know, you're not. It's not how any no. not how any of us works, right? But it's through it's through that struggle again, and then deciding to choose strength and and de- deciding to choose the beauty and deciding to live on and not only live on, but live on well. Yes. The other, so yes, you can, I mean, you can live on, but I want to live on well. Exactly. And I don't think I really knew I had that choice until a handful of years ago, to be honest. Was there any like, um, like did a small chip on your shoulder grow, uh, through, you know, perhaps people viewing you with like sympathy or like, oh, this poor girl lost her mom. And um, no, I would say a chip on my, cause that doesn't last long. Like mm-hmm. that's the thing about loss is people will be, people were very sympathetic to me in my loss, but that ended two months later or people yeah. move on with their lives. They don't even, I mean, there's some people that will still ask that still asked, but no, and even when I lost my father, it was he was a Catholic priest at the time, and his parishioners um, really liked to tell us how they felt. With the, and that was another. I had come to a place where so here I am grieving my dad, and mm-hmm. all these people are telling me how much they miss him without even really asking me how much I miss yeah. him. And I was able to get to a place of they're grieving too have the have the empathy to understand where they're coming from because they lost a man that was important to them. I was also able to acknowledge I lost a man who was extremely important. And um but no no chip on my shoulder. I just I found people suffering people suffer very unskillfully. I'll tell you that. And that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. It's all about them. I do want to point out that in general, because I don't know if we're necessarily taught this, is that how do you help others grieve right how do you help somebody else work through a death of somebody super close to them not necessarily it doesn't have to necessarily be only a death it could be like in the last episode we talked about um uh, a relationship that was shattered based on infidelity so there's still like a loss of sense of self or commitment for the last four and a half years so you Mm -hmm. or devastating news there's a little bit of an art form for that and most of the time i found that if, that if you're the one going through it, you're also the one that's helping others cope. Mm-hmm. Like reverse. Because most people don't actually know. They expect you, oh, it's okay. You're going to get over it. Okay, look for or next. Okay, you didn't deserve. Or okay, this. Or, and they're rationalizing it and kind of like painting the dirty car as opposed to, hey, I want you to hurt and I want you to know that I'm here with you to hurt as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the best ways you can be with someone is just be present with them and you don't have to really say much. It's just 
be there in it, empathy. Yep. And by taking, I think sometimes when you talk too much, you're kind of like, like in a way downplaying or disrespecting the level of grief that person's feeling. Mm-hmm. Like you're trying to like put a, like a price on it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also, I think it's when people are uh, uncomfortable, like they're yeah. uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable place to be when you're going through, when someone has experienced something that maybe you haven't in a while or haven't ever, you want to be there, but you don't know what to say. So you end up saying, talking That's what too I'm saying. much. Yeah. Like, and then, and then you want to apologize to that person. Like, I'm sorry you're in this position to have this awkward experience right now. <laughs> you know, like, right. But I want you to know it's okay. Like, yeah, you're okay for saying I'm okay. Like, so the be- the best thing I've found just because when someone's going through grieving, there's a sympathetic response that may mm. happen. Anxiety, increased anxiety, maybe even some paranoia, depression, potentially um, the physio- physical aspects of it, like just giving them a hug, right? Or, you know, if they're one of those friends where you can hold their hand. Like I, I, I witnessed that with my dad. Like he was great at that. He was just great at embracing people and holding their hand. And that physical, physi- physical touch is very calming, right? Or mm-hmm. like getting a massage, like a really nice soothing massage can be, that was really helpful. I mean, I can do my own self-care, but when my dad passed away, it was like, I just need something to help me, like acupuncture, yep. massage, um, to help me, downregulate because I wasn't able to do it on my own. Especially if you're aware of the love languages and if, and if touch is one of your love languages, then that's going to be an effective tool. Yes. Which by the way, if you have a significant other or close friend or something like that, I'm not going to review it all right now. Look up, I think it's five love languages. Maybe Uh, more. I don't know if that's, yeah. So there's love language or five love languages. It's a good book. Yeah. So there's, there's, like for example, if I remember correctly, you have like um, touch. Like my wife, Service. my wife and I. I'm like, touch is like a big thing for me. <laughs> In fact, like, I almost like, like stop myself from hugging people because I know how powerful it is to me. And so my wife, like, if I can go up and just even just touching to me, it's like I feel I can almost feel like our like magnetic flows connecting. It's a super sensitive, special thing for me, but it's not for her. Mm-hmm. She's like acts of service, you know, uh, and stuff. Like, anyways, look it up. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, a help. Book. It's a helpful tool to help you relate to people. Yes, and and, and then, your spouse. Yes, and and to serve them in a way that might be uh, most productive for them. Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. Yeah, you want to be a, a round peg for a round circle, not for a square peg for right. a circle hole. Well, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you want to you want to be able to fit with what they need. Yes. Yeah, and that's important. Give them um, what they need. So we're gonna, we're going to continue down the path of of breaking down a little bit, and then we're going to come back up, and we're going to talk about how to help others. Because again, like we're talking about strength, right? And is that is that something that you can teach somebody? Now, can you teach someone to be strong? Um, you can. You can teach it. Yes. Is that is? Are they going to apply it to their life? That's that's on them. So I think you can. Yes. By you can you can teach 
than by your actions uh, and your, your words, your actions, um, the way you treat them. But it's up to that person of what they do with it that makes them strong. Like they could learn it, but unless they apply it and put it into action, they're not actually strong. Repeatedly as well. Repeatedly. Re- repetition over time. Yep. Yes, to build the habit. And that's how, you, that's how I think eventually you build a strength. Because some people might be super right away. Like, oh, here's a tactic for strength. Do that. Oh, okay, check. Got it. Yes. And other people, oh, okay. Oh, I mess up. Oh, okay, go back. Okay. And, and, and work through it until it becomes habit. In fact, there's that habit of, you know, you know, excellence is not a, not a act. It's a habit. Like, yes. I would you, agree. you are what you repeatedly do. Your health is a habit. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, fun fact, that's that quote almost all, like all the time is attributed to Aristotle. Like online, if you look it up, if you were to Google it, you know, excellence is, is not an act. It's a habit that alone. And then read it's like people make memes and photos, Aristotle, Aristotle, Aristotle. Mm-hmm. It's actually Will Durant in a, in a philosophy book that he wrote. He's talking about Aristotle, mm-hmm. but the quote itself is not Aristotle. Yeah. yeah I don't Interesting. Know, just, yeah, a little fun fact. Because a lot of these quotes that come out there, you know, we tend to see if it's on the internet, it must be true. Mm-hmm. And you can write anything and then put a little, you know, dash, you know, Dr. Teresa Larson. Yes. Said, just do it, Dr. T. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so just Will Durant, just a little perspective on that. A little fun fact for you guys. So we're going to get into um, actually building up strength and some tactics on yeah. that. Um, but one thing, because I know this very well, and also you cover it in your book, Warrior, uh, just a quick story about um, your battles with bulimia while you were a first lieutenant in the Marine Corps. And so to paint the picture, you're not behind a desk. You're a badass female first lieutenant officer in the Marine Corps who is leading a platoon of, how many folks did you have? Um, There's 54 total. All right. Went little little pipsqueaks, right? Yes. Little, who, <laughs> so imagine this, this position and you're, you're 6'1", former like professional softball player, you know, badass straight out of a movie who is not only fighting a physical war, but also is fighting an internal war. Mm-hmm. So you, it's like a collaboration of strength and weakness. So while you're doing that and being a leader, you're also um, forcing yourself to vomit several times a day. Now yes. you're doing that, I'm assuming, in your uniform. Yes. So f- before I even ask any questions, have you forgiven yourself for that time of your life? Yes. How long did that take? Uh, well, that was a period of that time in my life was 2003 to 2007. And, um, I was, I, so my last episode was in 2007 and, um, it took me then till about, gosh, 2013, 14, when I started really doing some internal deep dives. I'd done a lot of therapy before that, like cognitive, all the kinds. But it wasn't until I started meditating and doing deep breath work, actually, which we'll go into, that I started to actually forgive myself. So, in this last decade. 
And there's something, and to point this out, and I think this is something that we as humans do to ourselves, and that is we trap ourselves to our past. Mm-hmm. We decide, we take our past, and again, we're talking about weakness and where it comes from, and it's in our own minds. That's something we did in our past, and then we're, we anchor ourselves to that. Yeah. And an anchor, what I mean is like, I'm, you're actually trying to think about it, actually, I'm laying an anchor at this point in time in my life, and now I can't necessarily go that far away from it. Yeah. How for, however, forgiveness, if you can find a way to forgive, it doesn't change the past, but it changes your future. Mm-hmm. Right? It makes things possible. Right yeah. It opens up your future. And it makes you, again, you can't change it, but it doesn't mean you're defined and controlled and limited by it. Mm-hmm. So in a way, forgiveness equals freedom. I would agree. Because the forgiveness takes the weight off of your shoulders. And because <clears throat> we all are human, you know, that's the thing. And we make mistakes. And these, uh, when I finally allowed myself like the forgiveness part was the act of being gentle with myself, like literally talking myself and writing, talking to myself in a way that was gentle and kind to writing it down. And when I started on the forgiveness journey, it allowed me to make decisions and not think, I hope this doesn't happen again. Or, um, wow, I didn't end, you know, one of the big things I had to get over was I was a platoon commander and I was in charge of all these Marines and, I could have really hurt someone, let alone myself. And I got out not the way I envisioned. Like no one knew I had this this disorder until I asked for help, but I didn't get out the way I envisioned. And that was a fear of mine all for a while. Like don't, I don't want that same thing to happen to me. While I got over bulimia, bulimia was no longer my addiction. There still was that thought that kept following me of, you don't mess this up. Like you're, you know, you, the fear of like that potential ending happening again or letting people down the way I thought I did. Can you describe, so you're, you're working, you're in uniform and it's that time of day. What does that process look like to you? Like when it was time, like when you knew you're going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And you're doing the finger trick. Mm-hmm. So what does it look like? Are you looking for, did you have a certain like place you did it? Did you wait for timing when people would leave? Um, yes, I did. So the, the interesting thing is the bathroom was like the sanctuary of this, obviously. Um, and, you know, the women's bathroom in the military, especially the Marine Corps, isn't like heavily used because there's not that many women. So I didn't have to really worry about a line, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and they were typically pretty clean. <laughs> Thanks to all the enlisted that had to clean the bathrooms. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but what it would look like would be in the beginning, like a hard day, of, you know, just a long day of work where you're up early and then working all day. And as a new 22 year old lieutenant, figuring out people's personal lives or getting in the way of their professional life and the counseling. And then you have your XO and CO and then you're develop you're getting ready for this mission and, this person has an opinion about how your hair, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there's just all these things that happen all day and you're like, whoa, real life slap in the face. So you go, you don't leave until the last Marine leaves, you know, or your job is done, which is maybe six or 7 PM. Then you go train, right? I'm in this sympathetic state. 
then I go home and eat. Um, and because I maybe didn't eat enough during the day or I restricted so much, I would overeat. And then it was in the evening when I would succumb in my own house to uh, binging and purging. So that, you know, it was usually at the end of the day to start or sometimes in the middle of the night. But a lot of times it was, I wasn't fueling myself enough because I was restricting. I was like trying to control the way my body looked. Like I had to be the perfect Marine all around. Look, act, et cetera. I didn't want to, I didn't want to stand out, but I stood out. I could not, not stand out. So then as I, as this disease progressed though, and if you study this eating disorders or addictions, it's not really the, the food that's the problem. It's the handling of your life, like what's going on in your life. So then as I got ready to, for deployment, um, the first one was to Bridgepoint, which was like a, just not Bridgepoint, excuse me. That was one of our deployments, but Laredo, Texas, where we were building like um, fences to keep the illegal immigrants out and low water crossings and things like that. Like I would throw up four or five times a day. Any chance I got, anytime I put food in my mouth, I was taking a break using the restroom. And because I was a lieutenant, right, in charge of a platoon, like they were working, I would take a break. Like I was always checking on different parts of what the Marines were doing. So in in a way, I had it easier to hide Mm because I could just step away. I was the only woman on this deployment, had my own bathroom, so it was easier. Um, but in Iraq, then same thing. Uh, I had my own room, any chance I could that I was away from the Marines, I would do it. So it became like a constant, anytime I was alone, I would do it. So you walk in the bathroom, just close the stall and just, yep, go for it. And that was, so the thinking Behind, and I actually talk in detail about what that was like, what I, what I thought about, which is a lot more gruesome. It's like you want to get a hit of cocaine. It's the same thought process of like, I want you to feel better. I'm not doing well. Like all this stuff just happened. How do, I, how do I process all of this that I just saw and did? How do I process my day? Uh, I'm feeling all of these things. Uh, I don't know how to process it. I feel disgusting, however I feel in my body. I want to get rid of that feeling. So this way of unleashing is my way of coping. And then, but afterwards, the thing is, once you're done, you feel, especially over time, you start to feel really low, really depressed after it. So it's just like you, when you binge, you purge, whatever you do, whether you do drugs, um, it's, there's a high, you get from the moment of doing it and then there's a low that happens. And that low is usually like, why did I just do that, man? Or you just feel like you're hiding this big secret and it's not right. What? It keeps drilling you back. So (coughs) did you actually enjoy or was there a reward from the actual process of throwing up? No. Or do you still not like the actual act of throwing up? I don't. Okay. No, no. It was just, that was my drug of choice. So was, was the reward in a sense of like maintaining a certain body image? Is that where, is that where the psychology of this is, is focused? Like what's the why of it? Not just, no, the why is behind like, um, it's a, it's a, it's a 
coping mechanism. So that's what this addiction is. It's like alcohol, right? It's to take the edge off. If you think of it like that or shooting up, it's, this is my, that was my way of doing it. So is to take the edge off of the extra sympathetic, you know, sympathetic state, like Mm -hmm. a heightened sympathetic state that you just can't get out of because of your mind. Right. So you're in this state of rationalizing stress, not coping well with your life. So that is your drug of choice. But there is a element of, yeah, I just, I can't control what I eat right now. I fell out of control with what I eat, with, with what I ate. I fell out of control with my work too. There's so many things being thrown at me. Um, so this was, even though I was handling all of those cleanly on paper, and to anyone else's knowledge, inside I wasn't coping well. So that was yeah. my way. And so yes, there was a body image component. Like, I don't want to let myself go because I'm so scared of failing my Marines or not looking the part or being the part. But then there was the underlying layer of why was I so scared of letting myself go? Like I was not, I didn't feel in control. I didn't feel in control of my work. I didn't feel in control of my, what I ate, even my body image, which was just, which was, there was a major dysmorphia about it. Yep. Now there's some, is there like an acute moment, like a final like trip to the bathroom that made you wake up and seek help? Um, in the Marine Corps. So that was, I was on a, I was on a mission. So I was on a deploy, um, a convoy in Fallujah during the first Iraqi election. And I was, it was like a all night mission. So I was leading it. There was hundred Marines on this convoy and I hadn't eaten in a while. So either I wouldn't eat for a while mm. or when I'd eat, I would, purge so you can imagine just malnourished in general like all over the place hormones all over the place so i after this deployment so on the deployment i was there was just a lot going on we accomplished what we needed to accomplish but my mind i was very in tune with the fact my mind was all over the place it was it was stressed out from the get-go and it's um, all I could think about too in moments of quiet were when am I going to next throw up right on this very important convoy. And I, I thought to myself and I, I, this has been going on for a few months now. And my, the only person I was in touch with about this was my dad, right? He was really concerned and he'd written me a letter, I don't know, a week or so before and was like, you're an, on a roller coaster. You're at war, but the interesting thing is you're at war with yourself more than you are at war with the Iraqis. So the Marine Corps will go on, but you won't if you don't make a decision to get help. So after that convoy, I was like, this isn't fair to myself. This isn't fair to these Marines that rely on me. Um, Yeah, I accomplished what I needed to accomplish, but I'm like at 40% at the moment, and they don't deserve that. And I wonder how many Marines are out there actually doing, like, just functioning at 40% because of these other addictions um, that are actually common. But I decided after that convoy to ask for help from my commander. And it kind of led me down, it started to lead me down a path of uh, not great, doesn't feel great. Like talking to very male dominated environment where what do you have a hard time at the buffet kind of conversations came up and that wasn't the case. And so it was, I, they tried to put me in a place where I worked at a desk, but that wasn't the answer. 
to fixing my addiction. I needed actual help, psychological help. So just the process of getting help was really hard, but you know, ultimately that wasn't my last trip to the bathroom. That was my asking for help moment. Mm -hmm. My last trip to the bathroom to throw up was when I was playing professional softball. So I played professional softball a year after I got out of the Marine Corps and it was one of our games. Um, again, the highs and the lows of the day, the highs and lows of winning, losing, uh, just threw up a lot one evening and just because of coping with the loss that we had as a team, like our team wasn't that great in Italy. It was a great place to visit, but not <laughs> a great, didn't win too many games. Uh, but so I remember letting that loss again take, the, take over me and my way of coping with that sadness and that lack of control was through using the restroom and throwing up all everything I'd eaten. And in the morning I was like, that's it. All of the tools. I mean, I'd done a bunch of mental health. I did a bunch of therapy before, like when I got out of the Marine Corps. Right. So I'd had these tools already, some of the tools, but then it wasn't until that night I was like, I'm done with this thing. I started to see it as this thing affecting my life. Like how many relationships was I it affecting? How many days of my life was it affecting? How many conversations with loved ones am I, am I lying? Like this is, this can't happen anymore. So I started to get angry with it and see it as like this bad boyfriend almost that was just like f- fucking up my life. And it, in that moment, that really, that perspective really helped me get, cause when I was angry, I almost saw it as this thing hurting me versus like, oh, it feels good. I want to just do it one more time versus like, no, this thing is really going to hurt me and it's really affecting everything else in my life. Like it was like a shift and I wasn't going to let this fucked up thing, monster, bad boyfriend, whatever. I kind of had to think of it like that is not getting in the way of my life anymore. And so that was my first moment in ownership of, no, I mean, I, I still would binge at times. I just wouldn't throw up. And then eventually my body leveled out. Like I didn't go through these crazy weight shifts that I would, I mean, the weight shifts for me were give or take 15 pounds, but still those were intense weight shifts for me at the time. Well, first of all, um, congratulations. Thank you. I'm saying like, I mean, it's in the past, but still, still something to be proud of. Yeah. And also it's something that only you can really choose to do. Like we always have those moments and you can't force those moments. You can set people up for success, but you can't force those moments of realization. No, no one's going to hold your hand. Mm. Like that's some, something that came from my mother, you know, life goes on like those, that moment when those moments after she passed, like, that's what I learned. No one's going to hold her hand, hold my hand. My dad will be there at times. My brothers will be there at times. My husband will be there when he can. Right. But really it's me. I need to make those choices and stick up for myself against myself and realize my mind is a war zone. Yep. So with that being said, you have a Ted talk out there, you know, what is a warrior? Yes. And, just to briefly talk, we just talked about this. You, you know, you got to 
you're you were actually a warrior in a war, literally, and then also your inner war, an inner battle mm -hmm. that you became a victor instead of a victim, mm -hmm. which is a very important distinction to make mentally in life to be a victor, not a victim, mm -hmm. like all the time. I, yes. Right? It's a choice. So within that choice and in that internal battlefield, um, I know you've had a lot of time to kind of think of an answer, you've presented on an answer, but I'm curious how that has like grown over time and if you can, like what does a warrior mean to you? Yeah, the the answer has grown over time. It's not like I had this great definition when I got out. I just knew what made me a warrior, the feeling came first. What made me a warrior was not like the fact that I was at war or I was a professional athlete or this kind of athlete. It was the fact that I asked for help. And it was even though I was told I was a disappointment and um, people thought I was knocked up, <laughs> just all the things, you know, that people, the rumors, until they found out months later, well, she's not growing. It's, you know, it's just why would a lady come back from Iraq? Clearly, it's because she got pregnant. Now, that wasn't, that wasn't the case for mm -hmm. me, but people choose to spread rumors just, you know, how yeah. it goes. Uh, so, where was I going with that? I was saying something important. This oh, about the... Uh, well, I'm actually... I, want, I could go back, but I want to ask a question before yeah. I forget the next one. Because my is, brain just went... No, that was okay. So, being a female in the Marines... Yeah. And also being amongst all the, uh, a whole bunch of probably like horny boys, right? Especially. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then already you're going to be put in a culture who's has assumptions about you mm -hmm. and thinking of you differently and treating you like um, a female, not as, you know, uh, uh, a, I don't know, devil dog or just like a, a Marine Corps first lieutenant. Mm -hmm. You're a woman and that's like the first title and you're different amongst everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so even going through that struggle, um, is going to fit back into, um, one, how badass you are to be able to do that. Right. And then two, we were talking about the definition of a warrior and what does that mean? Yes. Thank you. So I got really excited. So the, it was a feeling before it became a definition. Like I knew that that asking for help, was the was was the sign of my first sign of being a true warrior because I finally took ownership of my health and that's what the definition is. At the time, I couldn't put words to it. I was just like, I knew that even though I was a disappointment and being talked about, all of a sudden, now that I had asked for help and came home, I made the right decision. And because you know what Marines do, they are mission accomplishment. They are all about mission accomplishment and troop welfare. And I was fucking good at that. All the point, point being is I still had bulimia and did that, but I knew I, I was less of a person. I was, I was fighting my own war. And as a human, I needed to ask for help. And that is a huge sign of strength, regardless of if I was in Iraq or before Iraq. A lot of people would ask me, well, why didn't you just get help before? Well, I did, but I didn't want it to be on my record. I wanted to make sure I could still deploy. I didn't want this thing mm -hmm. getting in the way. And that's really kind of what we're taught though like don't let your personal shit get in the way of you doing your job so that was my mindset i would not not deploy with the marines i trained 
Like I had to. Yep. But now, look, yes, I can. I, I'm, I'm proud of all of my service. Uh, I'm not proud of having bulimia, but that was part of. I ha- that was that's that struggle I had with that. When would it have happened? Maybe if I didn't join the Marine Corps, it still probably would have happened. Um, but it that struggle made me into who I am today, and um, because I chose to face it, not turn away from it. Yep. So people that- struggle with these kind of disorders for years and years and years. Mine was pretty acute. It was four years and done with the aftermath of just the other things that come with it. People struggle 20, 30 years because it's one of those things that food's everywhere and it's really hard to say no to. So talk about warrior and earlier I'd mentioned, uh, you know, one of the little questions on there and what is Sisu? I remember coming over and doing the wadcast and we took pictures and you were really into the Sisu poster that I had up at the time. But if we look at it, it's over here and something to point out, like, what is a warrior? And like, oh, you don't, you don't, and I think most people are going to agree that you don't actually, that doesn't mean you're actually going to a physical war. Because mm-hmm. again, remember the greatest battle you're ever going to face is the one that's going in, in your own mind. Mm-hmm. And so that inner war right there, by nature, if you can step up with strength and determination in the face of adversity and taking ownership of yourself, choosing to stand up and push back against that little devil in your mind that makes you a warrior. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's important. And I, and I, and I employ people to make like a, like a decision to be a warrior and to allow yourself feel like one because it, it's empowering. It puts you in control. Like it's up to you. No one's going to hold your hand. Yes. And guess what? No one cares. Train harder. It's actually the shirt I have on. Right. Underneath, underneath <laughs> my sweater here. But again, it's having resilience and willpower and triumph and an unconquerable soul in the face of somebody that's trying to make you weaker. Mm-hmm. And that somebody could be you. Yeah. Yeah, it's easy to let it you ruin your life. So, for example, but but how it comes out oftentimes is that person ruined my life or that relationship ruined my life or that experience, my experience in the Marine Corps ruined my life. No, it's how you handled it or chose not to handle it. There are bad, there, everyone's going to come across some struggle, whether you've had some addiction, you know, you've had a bad breakup, multiple marriage losses, um, relationship breakups, business, whatever dealings, like you can easily blame those things. And people do. That's why therapists make a lot of money, but it's, it's how you choose to look at that and say, how can I make my next relationship better? What did this partnership get? How did it get me to where I am? And how am I going to keep that flywheel going because of what I learned? Yep. How am I going to use that? So I'm not an eating disorder specialist. I'm not a mental health specialist other than the work I've done on myself. I'm a specialist in my own. I'm a specialist of myself. So I know what I need to do to be healthy. But what I do know is that I can help other people with my journey and that I don't have to be an eating disorder specialist to help someone who's struggling with an eating disorder. Just say, start paying attention to your triggers. Like, look at your, start analyzing your life a little bit more closely. Like, what is your mind telling you? All right, we're going to get into that. Yeah. So, 
ownership, right? And then healing yourself. Um, so at that time, how did you heal? Uh, at the time of the, when I got out of the Marines, mm -hmm. right? So I was, uh, the, the key with me, I was going through cognitive behavioral therapy. So I had to do an, a whole outpatient clinic. They gave me nutrition therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, art therapy, all this stuff that you get with these, some of these outpatient clinics. It was 12 weeks long, um, but I also was in that transition to being a veteran, active duty to veteran. So I knew that the best thing was just, I had to keep moving forward. So the key to moving forward was not just sit on the couch and go through therapy and wait till it was done to start doing something. Like what was I passionate about? Because during therapy, it made me really think about what do I want versus like what do my what does my dad want for me? What does my family want? What looks cool? Because you know sometimes people make decisions mm -hmm. based on what others want from them, and I well partially the Marine Corps. My brothers were Marines. My dad was a was in Vietnam. He was in the army. Uh, so the military seemed like this would be a job that I they'd be proud of me for. Did I really want to do it? Well, I will never look back and say I would do it again. But was it the best? Like now that I'm out of it, I can be proud of where I came from, but I now know what I want. And I'm not doing it because they would be proud of me or it's sexy or yeah. it looks cool. Like I actually really want to be part of fitness and medicine. So starting to think about those things, like what do I really want? And then making steps to do it. So going back to school for physical therapy was my mission, my next mission. I also want to point out, you did not, like, and I talked about this episode of uh, the four agreements. And that is like the domestication of humans. And part of that is the culture, right? You didn't choose your culture. You didn't choose to be born into a family of Marines or people in armed forces. Mm -hmm. Like say you were born to a family of poets. Would you have joined the Marine Corps? Probably not. Yeah. Right. So that's something like sometimes you have an individual, but an individual is separate from your culture. And uh, it's hard for us to really be aware you know, of our, the box we're in. Right. So that's a really good point. Like I, I joined, I was really stoked to join, but it, I didn't really think about what does Teresa want? Like what makes me happy? like training and nutrition and helping people in the medical field. That's what made me happy. My mother, I saw my mother struggle big time and I thought I would be really great to be in this system and help make it better. But joining the Marine Corps was like, rah, rah, like this is badass. My family will be proud of me for doing this and it is part of them. And I want to, my brothers tell me like, there's not that many women you would make such a difference. Of course, code trigger word like yeah I want to make a difference of course I want to be the best do that but in the end it made me really like take a hard look at who am I and what do I want is this culture going to help me be a healthy woman anymore no I need to move on I need to move forward so you have to look at what is your why <laughs> yes, which, which is I did such, not ask myself which is a gigantic question for anybody it is. Right. So coming out coming out and when you started your career, I mean like now what is your why? 
So my why now is to be the healthiest and strongest for myself so that can help my son, raise my son to be a strong man, contribute to society, uh, to be healthy for myself so I can better be a better wife. Um, but it, my why is building my own internal strength and that will only affect my family and my business. So taking ownership of my, my health is my yep. why. And, because and, that only, like I, this whole principle of lead you first. Yeah, I love running. I want to run. I want, my, I want to continue to grow a company that does big things and do big things in my life with my family. But it's got to start from me, yep. from within. So we're going to go over a couple um, concepts from your practice and from some TED Talks and some podcast interviews and, and some stuff you've written about. All right, mm -hmm. we're going to pull them all together. And the goal of this is, is like, how do you get people to go from setbacks to comebacks? Mm -hmm. And this could be physically, emotionally, spiritually. It's all going to, the, the principles are the same. And another um, component, and this is something I started jotting down notes here. I kind of went off on a little bit of topic and I had an idea that I talked about a couple podcasts ago. And then, you know, I'm going to keep writing with this. Mm -hmm. And so you take your why, right? If you take your why and I apply it to like um, physics. And so you've played softball or weight training, right? So when you're playing softball, you're standing, let's say you're batting, you're up to bat, right? And your goal, your goal is to hit a home run, let's say but you have to have a really strong why. And the why is your ground or- The roots. Right? No, it's the ground. ground. So, so stay with me here for the metaphor. Yeah. I'm even using my notes here. So if you take, think of it this way, acceleration and momentum, right? To accelerate yourself, you need to change uh, its velocity by applying force. So think about it, if you're standing, if you wanna move forward, you have to apply force to the ground. So the amount of force applied is calculated by the mass of an object by how much it accelerates. Mm -hmm. So, um, say, let's take running. If we, when our foot lands on the ground, right, we're putting force into the ground, and the ground by its very nature is putting force back into the foot. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the force is transmitted to the rest of the body, and we move forward. And so let's just say if you have a really strong why, that's your ground that you, you're, you're physically or emotionally or spiritually pushing off of mm -hmm. to be able to move force, to move forward or apply force to an external object. Mm -hmm. So whatever that thing is that's coming against you to try and stop you from achieving your goal, let's say you push into the ground even harder and now you can apply force to overcome that resistance. So imagine... Um, like trying to push a, that heavy sled, right? If you're on concrete, you ha you're able to apply force because you, you you have like, say, uh, push the sled for Magnus, like his life it depends on it. Mm -hmm. Like sled is getting moved. Yeah. Right? Because you have a strong why. Mm -hmm. But let's say you're not really sure about it or you're like, eh, I don't want to be in pain. But it could be like trying to push a sled while standing on, like, on a mattress. Mm-hmm. You can't apply force the same. 
long story short, if you are clear about your why, you move better, you're, and you can apply force better, and you can, you can withstand force better. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to get into biomechanics and all that stuff later. Yeah. And how, because how your biomechanics and how you train and how you move helps you apply force better in a healthy manner. Helps me tall too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, in that case, yeah. Work yeah. capacity, <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, you take mass times, mm-hmm. uh, uh, yep, equals, yep. Yeah. More and more work output. real nerdy. More work output. That's good. But I saw a parallel there. Yeah, and I was like, of course. Man, like, like if you have a, even it's doing nice. a, a Spartan race, mm-hmm. if you're like, eh, I'm just going to go do it. But if you're like, you know what? I'm going to do it to prove that I'm strong enough. I'm going to do it because I want to I show my son how strong I am. Yeah. Good. So that's a great thing to bring up because uh, this year I'm doing Spartan racing again for that reason. Like I'm doing it. Um, I haven't raced since I had my son and I miss that competitive nature. And I really like those races. I like Joe DeSena a lot. I like his, his mission. And, um, also for my son to see me out racing and I'm not just, I just doing my little training and I'm a competitive athlete. Like I like that Mm -hmm. and I will never, that will never lose me. Just because I'm a mom and a business owner, it doesn't make me not a competitive athlete. So it's also proving to myself, right? Building that strength first in myself. And the other thing was three years ago, I decided to do Spartan, like a whole season of Spartan racing when my dad passed away because I wanted to sweat for him. Like he sweat for others. He died sweating for someone who was dying of cancer. He was like, I'm going to go out on a hundred mile bike ride for you because you're dying of testicular cancer. Like a veteran guy, like an old veteran guy he knew. And he was like, that's how I, that's how I pray for people as I go on bike rides and do workouts. Okay, mm-hmm. Roger that, Dad. I'm gonna do this for you. These sure. aren't super comfortable, and well, that's just not life. The life I live is comfort. Yeah, but if you have that why and you and you understand how to move correctly, right? You can you can withstand force and apply force and momentum. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of parallels there. So additionally, um, and this is going to keep coming up, and that is for anyone that your first step in regulating emotions is stabilizing your attention. Yes. So that generally could be in this particular instance, we'll use breath. Say you got a monkey mind and you're stressing out. What are you paying attention to? And you can stabilize your attention by bringing it right into your breath and stilling your mind. Cause in your still mind, there's strength, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So that, so bringing, so stabilizing your attention is also uh, like stabilizing your core and movement. If you're moving, you know, and you have like, um, not malfunction, that's the word I'm looking for. Moving dysfunctionally? Dysfunction, yeah. If you have some dysfunction there going on, generally we're going to, you, your core matters, mm-hmm. right? So that's what I saw. And this has to, this can affect your mind, body, or spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's when I saw your your acronym that you had for core, C O R E. So you had courage, oxygen, resilience, and elasticity. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to me? Yes. So there's another acronym I like too, which is love. The love. Um, it's similar. Which we'll get. We'll get that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So core. I mean, we need. So when people are injured, they often get this kind of cliche answer: "You need to work on your core." But what is that? 
And so I've taken it a step further of saying, okay, the core, this is what it means, courage to stand up to yourself and say, I need help. And to get the help. That takes courage because a lot of people just don't want to admit that they need the help. Um, And any physical injury comes with a, a mental vulnerability too. So that's the key is that you stand up to yourself and say, no, I'm not going to let this go for 10 years and just suck it up and put ice on it. I'm going to go get help with someone who knows what they're doing now. And the second one is oxygen, which is how you breathe and how deep you breathe. So the ability to focus your attention on breathing deeper. So a lot of us breathe just so shallow through just our chest. And, you know, we've got two lobes on the left of our lung, three lobes on the right. We've got a huge capacity here. And the more we can be in a neutral spinal position and breathe low into our belly first than chest, we're going to get more oxygen to our body, which is going to be, we're going to get out more CO2. Um, and there's going to be just more energy coming in and out of you. Um, so the core, so the O is about the oxygen. By the way, if you breathe in and use your entire surface space of your lungs, that's, if you take all those capillaries, it's the size of a tennis court. That's awesome to know. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very vast, I know, but it's, that's a great. Size of a like, tennis court. Yeah. So when it comes to, you know, we, we think about like, um, sun exposure a lot, you know, mm-hmm. oh, so you put sunscreen on your sun, but the surface space of your skin doesn't compare to the surface space of your lungs. But how often do we think about or reward or pay attention to not only how we're breathing, but what we're breathing? Yeah. Breath is, it's the the first thing we do and the last thing we Mm -hmm. do. We talked about this in life. And it's, if you really, if we really look at the core muscles that we care about the most, it's the breath, the muscle of breathing. Like, how are you breathing? The mechanism. That's the first thing because why do people, why are they in pain? Well, stress, they breathe too shallow. They don't get a deep breath. They can't decompress their spine. They can't even get into a neutral. They don't even know what neutral spine is to actually effectively decrease their spine, decompress their spine. So oxygen has so many benefits, plus the fact that it calms your physiology. So let's say you've got just, you know, a sympathetic driven day. You can, you can, you can, um, help eliminate some of that sympathetic drive with deeper breathing while you're at work, like learning to calm your nervous system in states that could be seen as stressful for you. Uh, so that's the O. The R was resilience. So the R, that's something that can be learned. That's your community around you. That's the, that's the way you think. That's um, the ability to say adapt to any situation and choose to overcome it. But resilience can be taught, so it's like, okay, I alone know that I can, I can handle a lot on my own, but it takes a village. So I know that I need help. So that, that choosing to have, you know, choose to have the right people in my circle is what's going to make me resilient too, the right people on the bus, so to speak, both in my friendships as well as in my work. Like that really matters. Yep, it does. I want to point something out about that. Yeah. And then here's a challenge. The people that you are friends with or the people in your circle, you select them out of mm-hmm. all the people. And they, I've talked about this before about your spouse, right? Same thing in your inner circle. You select them. You should be really like in awe of them. You should admire them. You should almost like look up to them. You should see something in them that you wish you had. 
mm-hmm. because that's going to help you expand. And, and the other thing is make sure they have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. Right. And they have, I think also just the same similar values to you. Mm-hmm. Cause when you look at when I, now that when I hire people, when I look to hire people or do any kind of work, I, I want to know what their values are. Like, and I want to know their background of how they develop those values. Um, so the, the resilience piece though, it's, it's got to involve a team, like a group of people that you surround yourself with. We all got to have people in our life. So who is it anywhere from to the nanny of our kid to the person who goes to daycare, who's in charge of his daycare to the, the, the friends that I hang out with to the people who are on my team. Yep. Like that matters. And then the E is uh, elasticity, which is um, the just knowing, I think it's super powerful for everyone to know, like us physical therapists and nerds out, biomechanic nerds, there no tissue can change, right? It's great. But I think for the lay person knowing that, hey, you do this work every day, a little bit of soft tissue work on your hot spots, start working on your range of motion issues, start actually taking some time to do a flow, like your tissue will change. It's the stress strain curve, elastic to plastic. So, you know, I, elasticity is you stretch something, like think of a rubber band around your wrist. You stretch it and it feels good. You let it go. doesn't feel so good when you let it go. Now imagine stretching that band every day. It's going gonna, it's gonna to start to change and become this more plastic. It goes into this plastic range. doesn't mean you're plastic. It just means you're, you're heading into this plastic <laughs> range of tissue. And that means permanent change. So, but you have to put in the reps. So if you're an older person who hasn't stretched a day in their life, you're, you're, it's going to take a little while. But you will feel better and things will change slower versus if you're younger, it'll happen a little bit faster. So, but you can't just expect that stretching, right? Like we, these companies we work with, we do um, like corporate wellness well-being. We don't really care what you call it. It's just a movement program to yep. get you moving and thinking more positively in your day. But it's, uh, we, you know, you can't just do a biometric screening and touch your toes once a month. Like, this is a consistent repetition yeah, of building but, habits. But, uh, Dr. T, uh, I want my mobility now. <laughs> yeah, so you can go under anesthetics and you can have someone cut your tendons and you'll have mobility right away. You'll be able to stretch yeah. and touch your toes, no problem. They can do a, a like a patellar tendon release. Yeah, you don't want that. Mm-hmm. It's not, nothing worth having is going to be easy. Mm-hmm. So like you can take a pill, a pain pill to feel better, but that's not going to solve your problem of immobility. Like that's only a bandaid and that's only going to create, create an addict out of you over time if you don't watch it. So the best thing to be addicted to is self care <laughs> and repetition of self care. Like, Hey, the more you expose yourself to cold therapy or heat and, or doing self mobility for that range of motion issue you have in your shoulder, well, then it's, you're going to see elastic changes in your body and in your mind. We call it neuroplasticity. So in your mind, like, think about it like this. Like, they think this is super powerful. And this was something that really changed the game for me in my mind. I think I even talked about this on the first Wadcast podcast. Like, that whole panic 
like pa- being panicky uh, is that I have a trigger and knowing that I can use my breath and or change a channel physically, move myself into a different situation quickly was really powerful. Like I could change that trigger in my mind from going down a path of self-destruction to, wow, that just, my, my uh, trigger just went away. Or that, that trigger isn't so strong anymore. Like I found that super, super awesome, which is, you know, so, um, that's using medical language, yeah. super awesome. But neuroplasticity, making the choice. You go down, you think of a pathway in your brain. You go down a highway, there's a fork in the road. Which one are you going to take? You choose to take the path where you use you know, focus your attention on breath work, changing the channel versus the path of like, that person did this, that's effed up or whatever, you know, that Mm -hmm. downward spiral or throw up again. Like you choose to go the other way. And the more you say yes to that and no to the other thing, the stronger that path becomes. That's neuroplasticity. Yep. I I actually uh, gave um, Julian Pinot, strong fit, when he came on, I gave him, I listened to a podcast with, with um, gosh, who, it was uh, No Fear with Tony Blower, and they yes. were talking about neuroplasticity, and I listened to it, and I went and bought a book on neuroplasticity and gave it to Julian when he came on this show. Nice. But I should have got two, because I wanted to read it, yeah. but you know, it's okay. But It's a fascinating, it's absolutely. a really fascinating but empowering Yeah, concept. you can... You can create change, an actual physical change um, in your tissues and in your brain. Yes. You know, I don't want to go off on the side on the, on the whole topic here, but I remember in college I was fascinated by um, phantom limb pain, and I'm writing a whole paper. Oh on yeah. It and how and how the brain yep. function and brain changes with the loss of limbs. It's it is a fascinating concept working with adaptive athletes because they still will have pain even after years and years because that part of their brain still acknowledges that there's uh, the sensory aspect of their brain still acknowledges that there's, um, a leg. Yep. And so it's their choice though, to, you know, acknowledge that or move, go the other direction of like, I don't have a leg. I'm okay. And then use other ways of like breath work. They used to use mirror therapy, which has varying, um, research it has varying benefits like for some people it's worked with others it hasn't that i've worked with so it's the things that have worked is fitness right finding their fitness breath work um and then their community right that tribe like they know that that phantom limb pain is there but it becomes less extreme the less that they allow their brain to focus on it yep so we're gonna go you said mentioned self-love earlier and then um you know, how to love yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's where the acronym, I got a couple acronyms of love, but yeah. tell me about your acronym of love. So the love principles are actually what I talked about in my TED talk too. And I use acronyms because when I'm up in front of a group, like being introverted, right? And just even sometimes with podcasts, like, I need to remember what I'm saying. So there's a lot of people in mm. front of me. So it helps trigger a memory of what I want to say versus like point one, point two, point three. It provides me the points, but they are the points that matter the most. And I felt like, so with love, I was told so much to, gosh, you really should learn to love yourself. Or one of the pieces of advice I got that was so great 
from a psychiatrist at one point was like, you know, I think you'd love yourself if you got pregnant. This was when I was had bulimia. He's like, you'd learn to love yourself if you were pregnant and had a kid. And I was like, mm, yeah, you're done. Yeah. We're not working together anymore. Thank you for that awful... I feel bad for that person. I do too. So either way, I've been told whether it's in the form of you need to be gentle with yourself, you need to learn to love yourself a lot in therapy. But I always was like, how, what does that even mean? Like how physically do you do that? Like I can think, oh, that was something really mean to say to myself. Don't say that. But if I'm going to really retrain my brain, I have to actively do something different. So like the breath work, right? that's a physical change of pace in my body that I can create to like repattern my thoughts or the speed of my thoughts. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm teach, I'm being told all this, like you got to learn to love yourself. You got to be gentle. So I'm going to, um, what does this mean actionably to me? So L is lead yourself first. Like we talked about a little bit ago, I, I am better, I'm a better mother and a wife and an, a business owner when I take care of myself. And that's not a selfish thing, but I take the time for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'm better at all of those things. So I have to lead myself first before I can effectively lead my family and, and my business. Uh, the O is oxygen again. So bring back in the ability to breathe deeply, breathe slowly, control your breath. Um, in times of distress, when your mind wants to take you to a place of distress or you have a trigger, like your, your oxygen can be the remote control. Your ability to breathe can be the remote control for your brain. So use it as such. And then the V is vulnerability. Vulnerability is powerful. It's very powerful. It's not a weakness. And, you know, my military veterans and active duty participants can probably attest to the fact that being open, sharing, and asking for help is, is seen as weakness and can still be. However, know in your mind and believe that you asking for help, on base, off base, whatever, for the things that are limiting you as a human is a sign of strength. Being open to your friends about what that mission, how that affected you. Be open to talk about the fact that your friend's suicide really affects you to your spouse. Like those things are very powerful and those things will change the way you cope with um, struggle. I actually think vulnerability is just another word for like actual pure honesty. Yeah. It is the way to sell. It's the, it is the, it is the love language everyone should have. Like that should be in the love yeah. language. Vulnerability should be part yeah. of it. Imagine you take honesty, right? And then whatever that is, and then we're, we're attaching an, uh, something to that, like an emotion. Or, okay, let's attach, oh, that's honest. Okay, let's attach embarrassment now to it. Oh, I'm being honest. Oh, let's attach like uh, fear to it. That's where the vulnerability comes in. Yeah. Is being honest no matter what yep. is attached. Exactly. And you know what I found is that the more, doesn't mean you have to disclose everything, but the more open you are and honest, that gives other people the ability. So when I share my struggles with you here, like the hundreds of thousands of people listening, 
need to know that they're not alone in their struggle. That's the point of it is like not to be like, look at me. I overcame this eating disorder. It's a daily thing that I'm constantly saying no to. But what I hope is that that person that's listening is saying, wow, I, I have this addiction and I haven't asked for help because I'm just waiting for it to go away. That's where mm-hmm. I find vulnerability. That's been super powerful. Like I never anticipated the book, like the book helped me do that because before that I was really embarrassed by my story and I wouldn't open up. And I felt like really embarrassed to share with veterans that I got out because I have an eating disorder. Well, an eating disorder is a serious illness, just like any other illness. Yep. And it was my illness and it affected my life. And the, the more I opened up about it, not just sharing it to everyone at every time, but like in key moments, it gave that veteran in front of me the ability to say, wow, I've, I've been dealing with alcohol issues for some time now and I can't deal with the loss of my, my, uh, one of my Marines, whatever it is. It's like, if I can give that power to someone through my being vulnerable, I will yeah. do it. Yeah. The vulner- like, I don't play around when I say vulnerability is strength. I can tell from Europe the way you are. Like, I knew that from the first time I met you, actually, with the Wadcast podcast. And like the, just listening to you on the Sisu way, like, it's been powerful for me to listen to you share. Well, thank you. But I'm, uh, we'll see full circle here because we're inspiring each other, (laughs) right? But that, that having the courage and and understanding that not only vulnerability is a strength, it's also a freedom because it's exhausting not being honest. Very exhausting. And I lived that life as a addict, right? Like I, I, I lied to myself. I rationalized my life away, uh, my time. I lied to my boyfriend at the time. I lied to my family. Um, Not proud of that, but I also am proud of the fact that I said, all right, enough's enough. And the E on this one, just to go, you know, finish it off is the elasticity again. So that's the, the common one to core is people knowing that they can change. There's no excuse there's their tissues have no excuse not to change if applied good repetition of self-care every day. But you know, look up the stress strain curve, like on a Friday night, like it's right there in front of you. Like the fact that tissue can physically change. So that pain that you have, which is actually subjective, but that tightness or stiffness you feel can actually go away over time. If you apply the appropriate dose over time. And it goes both directions. Yes. It's the other thing. Like if you sit there and right, it's you're gonna get good at sitting there. Right, and your body. So you're not stretching your body. You can so think about mind and body. The more you stretch, the more plastic the plastic. The more you'll be able to enter into this plastic range. Um, for some people, it takes seven months. For some people, it takes a couple years. You'll you'll feel different right away but the actual permanent change takes time, like a habit. A habit mm. doesn't become automatic until like 66 days, yep. right? But you have to put in the quality reps. And if you say you don't have time, that's BS. You do have time. You do. You got to make, you, you, you make the time in your day because that is what leading yourself first is about. That is what being a warrior is about, like owning your life. I know that I will not be effective going into a bunch of meetings or a speaking endeavor unless I have 
quiet time and some space. And I actually need a good sleep. Am I going to always get a good sleep? No, I'm not. I have a toddler and that's just not going to happen. But I do the best I can, Mm -hmm. you know, and I do the other things. I eat well. And so, yeah, that's what the love principles are about. Learn to love yourself and it's through action. All of them take action. Physically talking, physically telling yourself, lead yourself first. So instead of thinking, what do I have to do for everyone else today? What am I going to do for me first? Eat, do some self-care, breath work, then go into your day. There's um, another, another acronym. Well, in other ways, obviously, I think if I were to pick three things, three, for, for learning to love yourself and that fit into that acronym would also be um, a deliberate breath practice, whatever that is, even if it's one breath. If you take one mindful breath, you have a breath practice. Mm-hmm. A, little right. bit, a little bit further with that. Well, here's the three. Um, breath work, mindfulness, and gratitude practice. So breath work, one little specific tactic to take away with that because I think sometimes people say, oh, uh, you know, be happy. But there's not really a, well, how do I do that? Or do breath work. Well, what do you mean by that? I'm just breathing. Mm-hmm. So again, to be able to up um, people's self-awareness so they can use it for self-regulation. One little tactic um, that I use, and this is something I also recommended to people in stressful situations. Um, take law enforcement, for example, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow myself to open this up too big, but in law enforcement, it's a very sympathetic state, yeah. right? You're stressed out all from the, from the very first day you get in the academy, you're getting yelled at and you're put in a stressful situation. Mm-hmm. And it's like that you're under stress for like a 30 year deployment. Right. It's great. Like, yeah. And so, Several times I ask um, the folks, I'm like, hey, do you know how to clear a malfunction? How you, like a, your pistol malfunctions, do you know how to clear it? Yeah, of course. Okay, you get like a, a, stove, um, a stove pipe malfunction where the, like the empty um, uh, brass is like not allowing your slide to close all the way. Mm-hmm. It's very specific like, you know, class three malfunction. The chances of that happening are like point zero 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 one. But if I go up to anyone in my department, I'm like, do you know how to clear um, a malfunction in your handgun? They know immediately how to do it. And then the next question, how do you cope with stress? Yeah. And there's not an answer. Yeah. I've gotten a couple. One um, exercise, which is okay, good, but by nature still is stressful. Mm-hmm. Two, alcohol. Most of the answers are alcohol. So what we're doing, I mean, in our profession, we're failing to teach ourselves correctly. Mm-hmm. So here's a tactic for coping with stress. One to two part inhale to exhale breath. So one part inhale, two part exhale. So think about if you're doing a four count inhale, do an eight count exhale. Mm-hmm. Whatever that pace is for you. Yeah. The inhale is a sympathetic response. And proof of that is go scare somebody. What do they do? <gasps> Yeah. Right, it's a it's a it's a sympathetic state. Yeah. So that's why it's shorter. So then go to a longer exhale. That exhale, a nice smooth, um, slow exhale, is a 
parasympathetic response. Mm-hmm. Now, to do a little bit better, do it all through your nose. But if you're not doing it through your nose, do the exhale through your mouth, purse your lips, like a, like almost like you're whistling. Yeah, the ocean breath, right? If you're doing the ocean breath, it's gonna slow down your breath and it's actually gonna st- stimulate your vagus nerve, which is gonna help you downshift. Mm-hmm. So do your one to twos. In fact, just do it once, do it at a red light. Whenever you're <laughs> feeling a little bit of stress, do it. Yeah. So that's, that's your breath, the mindfulness. I think that's a, a really powerful, I would, you know, oxygen, elasticity, like knowing that the parasympathetic is on the exhale. So in mm-hmm. a lot of my physical therapy, one-on-one clients. And even when I talk to groups, it's let's take a long, slow breath. Let's see how you breathe first. But everyone's in a sympathetic state. I mean, some people have professions that are just putting it it's heightened. Mm-hmm. But the way our life is, like we have phones constantly beeping at us. We're, you know, in front of television, we're kids. We have, we're driving. Um, there's a lot just more stimulus all day long. We don't shut off. And so the ability to use the breath as that tool mm-hmm. and literally let, let go of those little computers, you know, any chance you can outside of your profession to like let go of the things that cause too much stimulus to you and yep. or if you don't have control over it to actually really focus on that exhale. Yep. And that goes into your mindfulness, but that little breath. So I'm telling you one breath, but that one breath can turn into a behavior yes and it can use be i mean you can do it people don't even have to know you're doing it it doesn't have to be a big deal right you can it's you can actually just kind of be the way you it's take like, a few breaths it's like doing kegels yeah. but not knowing yeah, yeah. Just, but just going right to it with your mind right <laughs> yes. so then again by focusing on your breath you're regulating your emotions by stabilizing your attention mm-hmm. yeah. so that's where so and then being again to do the next level of it being mindful. And what does being mindful mean? It's like a word that's getting thrown around a lot. But a lot of people don't actually understand what mindful means. So here it is. So stay with me. That's when in, you're in the present moment, right now, without judgment. And to go a little further, with appreciation and gratitude. Just to be in the moment without judgment. So that right there, being in the moment without judgment, is hard to do. There's another love acronym that I just wrote about on my social media to be able to do that, to connect and actually learn to understand people. So if you were to take love again, L O V E, the L listen and learn about others. Mm-hmm. Really hard to do. You got to be mindful in the moment without judgment mm-hmm. because you're, if you're losing that, what you're doing is getting your mind ready to reply. And as soon as you're getting your mind ready to reply, you're actually not listening anymore. So it's a hard thing to do. So it takes a deliberate practice. Oh, open your heart or open your mind to others. Super easy, but super hard. The whole thing is a paradox. And then volunteer to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I, I, I want to help this. Let's move forward together. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm volunteering to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. trying to win. I don't want to win. If I win, that means you lose. And by nature, you're on my team. I don't want you losing. If you lose, how is that helping the team? I don't Mm -hmm. want you to, I want you to feel good. So another paradox. And then E, uh, encourage or enable others to do the same. I like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's another thing on moving forward in relationships. And that can, that does also include yourself. And then the last part of that is the gratitude behavior, the grat, gratitude mm-hmm. practice. And that's when we start going into looking at the seven wonders of the world mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier. Your, your five senses. Yeah. Or communication or ability to love and to really focus on what you can do and pay attention. Even something that like, like, and I talked about this with Patrick McEwen on our, on our episode on the breath, but we talked about even taking your focus on your hand mm-hmm. and look at the wonder and amazement of your hand mm-hmm. and how like oh, the capillaries are, the nerves, how sensitive and how complex it is. And if you pay attention, you can even like feel the heat radiating from it mm-hmm. and how amazing it is. And I tell you, I've seen a whole lot of dead hands and I see what happens to this thing once life is gone yeah. out of it. And it, it becomes just like this, you know, I'm not going to gross anybody out, but and how amazing it is when there's life in it. And yeah. then you get this to use. And as you know, there's a lot of people that don't have this. Yep. And so... Centering yourself into your like, center, rooting yourself in this gratitude of mm-hmm. something that you get to do with this really cool thing is like a hand. Wow. You know what's really fun to do with that is if you have a kid too, because I'm exploring all that now with my son. So it's like, look at his little hands, look at his little feet, his knees. We, we name body parts. But through that, looking at things through a child's eyes has make, made me enjoy the moments even more. So like I'll look at his hands and I'll look at my hands. We'll look at our knees. We'll look at our toes. You know, we'll look at our ears. Like it's just really fun to explore these things that I wouldn't have normally paid attention to before him. And now it's forcing me to do yep. that again. I also really like the practice of so while grat- I like the practice of gratitude, I also really like the practice of uh you mentioned it, what we can do, looking at our contributions sometimes, um, or I guess, yeah, looking at our contributions in a way of this is the, it's a physical thing that you're doing for the world. What are you doing for the world? What do you feel? What are you proud of? You're, you're working to help people, your medical doctor, your lawyer, your, uh, police, police man or woman, um, like what are those, th- what do those things include? Like, what do you do for your job and kind of be, look at those and be proud of them, be grateful for your life. But like, I feel like when I look at the actual things that I do on a daily basis from motherhood to business, it makes me feel proud and that's a nice feeling to have. Um, and the wonderful people that includes like the wonderful people I get to work with, which is where the gratitude comes in. Yep. So I actually don't do a good job of that. It's a nice practice. I think I, I was reading an article um, from Sheryl Sandberg when she lost her husband and she was talking, they were talking about the, she was talking about how to have gratitude and be grateful for her life and she she knew that was important but someone told her about, you know, looking at her contributions and his contributions and like being proud of those and like, because it's a physical thing that you can like, because she felt... Um, you know, you can sit in a journal and write all the grateful things you are about your, say all the grateful things you are about yourself or others. But when you write down, what are you doing to help people today? If there's a different, there's a different feeling that can come up for people who are grieving. It's like, what do you, instead of saying, 
it can be because in that grieving process can be such a lonely time, even though you're not alone, can be lonely um, and can be self-defeating at times. Like, why am I here? And this person isn't here. So I feel that way a lot with this podcast. I talk to people and I'm always telling them, I was like, hey, this is not a me thing. Yeah. This is a we thing. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not any different than anybody else and not trying to be motivating or inspiring. I'm just trying to, I'm just actually trying to have a conversation. Yeah. I skip the shenanigans. I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. skipping the, you know, the, the, the faulty, nasty crust that we all pretend like we have and actually talk to each other. Mm Yeah. Yeah. It's super important. That's what I like about this podcast too. Oh, we're actually talking. Yeah, or you, you're, yeah. This is a journey together. That's what we're going on. Hundred percent. I, I'm certainly, golly, I'm so far from anything perfect, but I am committed to having progress over perfection. Mm-hmm. And then, and going at that together. You know, and then maybe we can help lift each other up mm-hmm. so super stoked about having the ability to do this yeah you know it's kind of turned up you know the, the whole podcast journey in itself is pretty interesting right and you know like i think i think you'll agree that um two points one doing your own podcast and doing it well is difficult Mm-hmm. people don't realize that you think you just start and they have go through the honeymoon phase and have some episodes and but a lot of people might have some stuff to say but don't have anything to say really long term right. hard to do but also by doing this type of stuff and you probably know by now is like is how much you actually learn about yourself oh yeah right oh yeah it, it's a, it's life's a mirror so when people are talking and bringing stuff up it's I've been challenged on my podcast like you know, I haven't done that in a while and, or I need, to, that's something I need to do. So thank you for sharing that. Cause it's opened up, like maybe it caused some unrest in me or, you know, challenged me. Like why, like looking back at myself, like why did that in a good way, yep. how is that going to help me become stronger? Yep. So speaking of helping others and, yes. and doing something, uh, you know, deliberate. And I mentioned this on, the last episode, uh, this is the second time I'm doing it. And just so you know, this is episode 32. And so um, this is the second episode I've had any type of like ad or commercial or anything like that. Because I'm very specific and protective of the message. And I'm also specific, um, uh, I'm also protective and respectful of the listeners. Because I know it's like to listen to a podcast and you have to like sit through eight minutes of ads and stuff. I'm yeah. like, like, man. So I'm committed that this this podcast is never going to become that. Mm-hmm. So when I do anything like it, one, I'm going to be completely vested in the product. And two, I would probably be doing the support anyways because of how good I feel about the product. Mm-hmm. And so in this particular case, talking about State and Liberty shirts. Now they have more, they have jackets now, they have polos. Um, they even started having, uh, selling pants and sports coats. But State and Liberty is a company that makes performance 
fabric, like dress clothes for men with an athletic fit. You know, so most of the shirts you buy are like those, the, the button down shirts that are like kind of big and boxy. Well, these are like the men's performance shirt of that style that you can wear anywhere. Uh, they're slim fitting, um, like super polished, nice looking dress shirts that stretch. Now I know like, like why are women always wearing like yoga pants? Probably cause they're super stretchy and really mm-hmm. comfortable and yes. they're, you feel good in them. They look good. And mm-hmm. so that, in a way I tell people, I was like the state and Liberty shirts are like the yoga pants for dress shirts. And the reason I like it is, um, again, they, it comes like this tailored fit. And so you don't have to take them anywhere. If you have a big old, like, like, you know, tire around your waist, or if you're kind of heavy or if you haven't been working out, honestly, the shirt's not for you. Skip ahead. Mm-hmm. But if you do, or you're kind of fit, or if you have like um, a thin build or, or V type body, this is a shirt for you. It's actually going to accentuate and make you look even better because the shirt is tailored again, four way stretch. Uh, you can throw it in the laundry here. You can throw it in the washer. You don't have to take it to dry cleaning. Uh, the collar is super tight. There's a really good collar stay that sticks. Even the little, um, God, those little things that you put in the collar to help it stand up. They give you these nice little metal ones. Nice. Yeah, the shirt. And then so if, you have a, if you're not wearing a tie, you can. there's a little button thing that you put the collar on. So it helps the collar stay up nice and tie. High, which I'm like sensitive over. I notice things like that. Mm-hmm. And also like... Um, like uh, the the collar around the, the the wrist. What am I talking about? You know, what I'm talking the about this ri- part. Yes, I don't the know. The cuff. The cuff is the nice and stiff. Cuff. Yeah, the- it's a really good. So I pay attention to these little things. Yes. I'm like, if it was flim flammy, I would. I wouldn't. <laughs> sorry, guys, stay in Liberty. I wouldn't be supporting you guys. Right. But since everything about the shirt I, I like, so even if it's tucked in your pants, you can bend over or bend sideways, and it stretches. Is it mostly men's or is there women? It's all men right now. Okay. However. They might be branching out. Okay. But it's so it's so comfortable and stretchy that like you can like I could do a CrossFit workout in it, no problem. They're, so if you forget your workout shirt, you have no excuse. Yep. You go train in your Yep. And it also no, absolutely. You can snatch in it like perfect. Uh and it's also water resistant. If you spill on it, it goes right it beads off, no big deal. Nice. So I tell people for guys, if you ever if you're, especially if you have a job where wearing a suit or a tie and stuff, check out State and Liberty. Use strength. State and Liberty. Strength. Check it out. Strength is the discount code for 15% okay. off. Strength. Okay. And if you're a woman or a guy or whatever, if you need to get a gift, this is the cool thing to get. It's not, they're not too expensive. And with strength, you get 15% off. Think about it for my husband. It's awesome. Like Christmas or yeah. holidays. Sure. I'll even show you one. I'm not even playing around. Like you're going to see okay, him black. Like, this is really good. Nice. Excited. That's my point. So that's that's my my pitch for State and Liberty. Now I'm doing it because they're supporting the show and I'm supporting them, but I also firmly believe in their product. I firmly firmly believe in the company. Uh, otherwise, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna waste your time or your precious attention, mm-hmm. which is a which is a very very important commodity. Yes. Right. It's also a commodity that people have that you don't get a refund on. No. And you so, don't want to mess with your time. No. And there's so many. Like other podcasts, there's the radio, you got music, and you have, I mean, the podcast is a, is a crowded space already. And so if you're still with us and listening, I, I'm, and I'm sure Teresa feels the same way, that we both greatly appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. And I want oh, you to yeah. know we like totally honor and respect it. And hopefully 
this product is something that you like. And if you do like it, hop on iTunes and let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, also, check out her podcast, My New Normal. Yes. Which is a very fascinating and deep project that you're doing. And you're mm-hmm. doing it in seasons. Yeah, so season one is focused around the adaptive athlete. So we call it Tales from the Adaptive Titans. They have a lot, a lot to teach us. And we were all adaptive, but there's individuals who've been through a lot. Uh, Scott McGee is on it as well, so, uh, which is awesome. But it's, there's a lot we can learn from people who have through, gone through great struggle. Physical injury to loss to change of job. Um, that's what we talk about. And sometimes we get into the weeds on science, and some, but oftentimes it's more just what has gained, what has helped that person become resilient. And they are some of the most powerful people I meet. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. bottom line, regardless of whatever, whatever label somebody wants to give them, right? Whatever, those are the warriors. Yes, they are. And you know, there's a lot of individuals out there who choose not to get up after a major injury, or just in general in life, and they're the ones that are disabled. Yep. It's not the people that are choosing to get up, rise up, and um, see what else they can do. Also, you have your book, Warrior. Yes, Warrior. It's my memoir, and you can find it on Amazon uh, these days. And you can find it on my website, which is drtresalarson.com. And in the book, it's a lot more detailed about your, um, you know, your, your Marine Corps career and the battle with bulimia. Yes. Yeah, so we go into that as we talk about that part of my life, because it is very much the, the part that, like, helped me get started on this path of wellness, like taking ownership. And I think it was a really important message. I didn't know writing it, but going into depth, as much depth as I did on an eating disorder, what that looks like, because there's such a stereotype out there of what people look like who have eating disorders. I mean, you think about it, it's like, it's obviously a rich, skinny, white female who has an eating disorder who cares about her body more than anything else, or a celebrity. Well, it's not the case. I wasn't a rich white female and I was a, a very, I wanted to be the best Marine I could be. And I had the same struggles as any other woman or man, really, to be perfect. But I ended up using the drug of food as my coping. So it's, yep. you know, don't, you're, you'll find in this book that you'll, you'll see similarities into these other addictions that you may know more about. So, and hopefully it totally slashes what you think someone with an eating disorder looks like. Yep. And it might be able to help you help somebody else. Yes. And or help yourself. And you also have your website, drteresalarson.com. Yes. And that's DR, not at the doctor's not actually spelled out. Yeah, it's DR. And there's movementrx too. Yep. And movementrx.com? Movement-rx.com. Movement-rx.com. All right. And as always, all the stuff will be on the show notes at the com. And to close out, I'm going to share a quote from even before that. I forgot to ask about your socials. Oh, the socials. The socials. Apparently that's what we do at this day and age. Yes. Uh, Well, so if you want to follow my company and the clinics we put on and our partner programs, look at just at movement RX on Instagram and Facebook. And then if you want to follow the My New Normal podcast and warrior type stuff that I put out there on an individual basis, it's at Dr. Teresa Larson on Instagram and Dr. Teresa Larson DPT on Facebook. And if you're a business person and want to look me up on LinkedIn, do it. Teresa Larson. 
I love LinkedIn. It's I like, keep, I don't pay. Is that LinkedIn what? is so great. Is for, it? You see all the people in suits on there. Like they um, wear the suits. It's just, it's, it's actually I always get weird requests from there. I'm like, delete, delete. It's fun. I actually really I, enjoy it. Especially being in the wellness field now. Yeah, okay. Like I bring in my quirky, I like the last thing I posted in there. It was actually really fun. I was talking to um, R2D2 and telling people to start paying attention to their mental health because they're not robots. <laughs> just, just, yeah. You'll laugh if you look at some of my stuff in there. Also, um, great source if you're if you got something going on with your low back, your knee, oh, yeah. your shoulder. Online stuff. Like we've been talking a lot about character and mental strength mm-hmm. and, and like the self journey to inner peace. But sometimes you just have an ailment. Yeah. You know, a you physical ailment. And in that physical ailment, um, check out her resources online because it's all out, all there. All you got to do is put in a little bit of effort and pay attention. Yeah, so they're on movement-arcs.com. We have the low back fix, the shoulder fix, and the knee fix. They're eight-week-long programs to help you get past that phase of where you're not comfortable yet to get back to the barbell or racing, and you need to learn how to move well again. And this is the program for you awesome they worked really well and we have some great data i'm gonna be checking it. those out because i could improve on all those so the other thing i like and i just want to highlight because i want people to go check it out if you go to drtresalarson.com and scroll down you'll see how she kind of formats her treatment and it's not just about what you normally think in western medicine she's treating mindset and function and recovery so it's not yes. just about the physical tissue she's empowering the human yes that's the key is treating the whole human Mental health um, is a big part of what's on this program too, is teaching you to slow down and breathe and do things that make you a little uncomfortable. Well, thank you. Thank you, Scott. I'm this super was, proud of you. <laughs> thank you. It was, this is an honor, truly. And much love to your family. Thank and you. I look forward to watching the growth of little Magnus into a Magnus. monster. He's going to be the new mountain <laughs> in the remake of Game of Thrones one day, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> he's just so, he's so cute. Uh, to close out, I found this quote. I just found out, I found it last minute, and so I want to share it by Glennon Doyle. You can be shattered, and then you can put yourself back together piece by piece. But what can happen over time is this. You wake up one day and realize that you have put yourself back together completely differently, that you are whole, finally, and strong. But you are now a different shape, a different size, this sort of change, the change that occurs when you sit inside your own pain, it's revolutionary. When you let yourself die, there's suddenly one day, new life. You are different, new, and no matter how hard you try, you simply cannot fit into your old life anymore. The new normal. Mm-hmm. I like it. So thank you guys for listening. And remember, health is wealth, Vulnerability is strength. Strength is a choice. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. So get up strong. Help others get up strong. And be unconquerable. I'm Scott McGee, and this is the Sisu Way.